0: Hi, I'm Mark Cuban.
1: I'm Jackie Keast, and welcome to On The Tools. Every Wednesday...
0: You mean hump day.
1: <laughs> we talk about what we've been watching, reading, listening to, and scrolling through. We're self-appointed experts on content.
0: Because that's our real job.
1: And making each other laugh.
0: But that's what we do mostly during 9 to 5.
1: <laughs> welcome to On The Tools. Welcome.
0: Hey, Jackie Keese, great to see you. Look at you, yeah. all, all <laughs> formal and dolled up. Where are you going?
1: To the Actor Awards. Oh. Gone from a towel to uh, a gown. I can do it all. Get yourself a woman who can do it Mardi all. Mardi
0: Gras, you'll be in pumps. You'll be in pumps in <laughs> a cheerleading outfit.
1: They mm. have done that before, so
0: I have to think of something else. What are the Actor Awards if our listeners don't know?
1: Uh, the Australian Academy of Cinema and Television Arts Awards. Ooh,
0: look at you. <laughs> anyway, I'm going this year myself.
1: Oh, are yeah, you? So I've
0: got a special invite.
1: Where's your tuxedo? So,
0: so I've got a few tuxes. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> they call me Tuxedo Cuban.
1: No one has ever called you that in your life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what am I talking about this week, I hear you ask? Um I'm going to – I've got two Netflix – one's a Netflix series documentary. uh, It's Pepsi, Where's My Jet? And Running With the Devil, The Wild World of John McAfee, a feature documentary. And what are you going to be talking us through?
1: I'm going to talk about a book by Helen Garner called House of Grief and a comedian and TikTok star, Laura Ramoso.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So – where do I start? Uh, I, think and, I think if you and I think if you and I produce this series, the title would probably be Pepsi. Where's my jet, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> bitch. Um, I've seen this series lingering around on my Netflix carousel for a little while, and to be honest, the title sort of put me off because I kept thinking about the Pepsi taste challenge, um, <laughs> and, and don't you know it? That's exactly how the doco started. Um, it's probably one of the funniest, most riveting docos I've watched in a long time. Uh, it centres around a Pepsi promotion launched in the mid-90s. You know, it's kind of a time when advertising had colossally large budgets and uh, much less media fragmentation, fragmentation than
1: Yes. Every pop star did a Pepsi ad.
0: You know it, uh, like
1: Spice Girls. Michael in the Jackson,
0: song. Britney Spears, even Ray Charles, Queen, Beyonce, Jennifer Lopez, David Beckham. he's not a pop star, but he might as well be. He's married to one. Mm-hmm. Um, huge budgets, and it's kind of it's just—it's a great doco. But this doco focuses particularly on a promotion PepsiCo aired in the mid '90s series of commercials aimed at promoting Pepsi products via an assorted point system associated point system sorry um, so every time you purchase a Pepsi product you could collect points that could be redeemed to claim prizes such as t-shirts sunglasses hoodies leather jackets you know you get the picture but one commercial Showed that for 7 million points, the prize was now get this a Harrier jump jet, right? What? Yeah, yeah, military uh, vertical takeoff (laughs) jet, a Harrier. I think
1: it's a. Why do they have one of those just sitting around? I think it's an
0: AV 8 Harrier 2 jet, right? So its value at the time was estimated at like $23 million. This is the mid 90s. And while they state that the commercial was tongue in cheek, It lacked any disclaimers, right, indicating that it was a joke. So enter John Leonard. He's a 21-year-old business student who became obsessed with the Harrier fighter Um, and, you know, kind of fantasised about landing this thing in the front of his school or uni or whatever. Being
1: the coolest kid. Coolest kid. I'll
0: take you for a burn in my jet. I go to
1: school in a jet.
0: (laughs) Anyway, he's quite a clever guy. All-American dude, really, kind of just there's something about him that just genuine, nice, sweet guy, hardworking, you know. Uh, anyway, he kind of became obsessed, had posted notes, everywhere, started doing all this research and discovered that it was possible to purchase Pepsi points for 10 cents each and calculated that 7 million points would cost $700,000 US, oh my God. right? So beyond that. The rules, the Pepsi rules for this promotion stated you only required a minimum of 15 Pepsi points worth of physical tags from Pepsi products. So, you know, you go and buy 15 bottles of whatever, Pepsi products, you take those tags, you send them in or you whatever you do with them. And he then went out and spoke to a bunch of investors, right? So... He, he convinced five investors to help him buy the remaining points. Now, remember, a fighter jet is valued at $23 million, so a $700,000 investment for $23 million <laughs> ROI is pretty good return. So, yeah. so five investors would each invest $140,000 and in their individual returns split six ways would be about $3.8 million each. It's kind of a no-brainer, right? Anyway, one of the, those investors was a guy called Todd Hoffman, a kind of gruff, telt-like-it-is sort of bloke with an Al Pacino type of vibe about him, right? <laughs> At the start, it's they do like a tongue-in-cheek, you know, taste test, you know, drink this, drink this, you know, which one do you prefer? And anyway, the camera's rolling and he just goes, they're both shit, right? <laughs> <So> They <laughs> taste like shit. I wouldn't drink this garbage, right? So he's a very funny character. So anyway... Eventually, John Leonard sends in his points and a cheque to claim the 7 million points to claim the jet. And I won't get into the nitty-gritty because I don't want to ruin it for our listeners, but it is a fabulous journey and remarkably moving because throughout all of the shenanigans, um, and, you know, there's, there's lawyers involved, there's court cases, there's meetings with the Pepsi board, I mean, the whole shebang, right, the management team, Pepsi management team.
1: So they essentially never imagined that anyone would ever get the fighter jets?
0: No, I don't think so, right? <laughs> and they probably should have done their math homework, which they obviously didn't do. But, you know, in all this sort of stuff, you know, he's made some real enduring friendships that were created and interestingly i thought the docker used a tempo and style similar to the shows and versions back in the 90s so it kind
1: of oh, so they kind of has the feel yeah yeah it kind
0: of has that retro feel it's kind of it feels like fun and they kind of pepsi Max. they use all these kind of graphics it was just fantastic and you can imagine senior management at pepsico you know i'm sure there are a lot of what the fuck meetings? Right? <laughs> it's just it was just it's one of those. And you know normally, when I'm watching something like this, you know I'll have the some device going, but I was completely focused on this. You're um, not
1: paying attention.
0: No, but of course <laughs> this whole documentary kind of opens up debate about contract law and whether promotions are legitimate, you know, probably even more so these days with all the offers and competitions on social media. Uh, As a youngster, I was obsessed with Marvel Comics and uh, my neighbour and I would liaise with each other in relation to who would buy what comic to avoid duplicating purchases and we sort of started our own private comic library between us. And I remember that we were... I don't know, maybe 10, and there was an advertisement in the back of the comic for real X-ray glasses (laughs) (laughs) that we could make money buying, like selling this kind of weird newspaper called Grits. And I remember he and I calling the number because back then you couldn't dial directly. You had to be connected by an operator. And uh, we kind of gave the number and it was this Organisation of this thing was located in Connecticut, USA. Oh
1: my God! How much would have that cost? It cost a bomb, <laughs> anyway. But
0: we, we didn't know how to pronounce Connecticut. I remember we called it Kentucket, right? And suffice <laughs> to say, the operator didn't connect us, though uh, through it ultimately saved us from a good walloping. I think,
1: <laughs> but you know,
0: also like you know, that's completely false advertising. There's no such thing as X-ray glasses.
1: Uh, <laughs> I can see people <laughs> in clothing. All
0: that rubbish, right? <laughs> anyway, it is, I'll watch it again because it is so funny and warm and ridiculous and, you know, it's kind of interesting in the sense of how a big multinational like PepsiCo could get things so wrong. Um, hmm. Yeah, fascinating documentary and and left you feeling Really good. It was very uplifting. Um, That's good. Really worth watching. So don't let the title kind of put you off. It's definitely not about the taste test.
1: <laughs> I never see Pepsi anymore. I love
0: Pepsi. I actually prefer Pepsi. Do you? Yeah.
1: I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I love Pepsi more than. No, I I is
0: it? It's different.
1: Like, nah. Yeah, it does taste. I think it tastes it
0: Yeah. No, Pepsi. I'm a Pepsi man through and through. <laughs> what do you got? Uh,
1: So I have got the book House of Grief by Helen Garner. Most Australians probably remember this, but on Father's Day in 2005 in regional Victoria, Robert Farkerson drove off the Princess Highway and he crashed his car into a dam. His three sons who were in the car with him drowned. He escaped. A year before, his wife had left him for another man. She kept their house. She kept his favourite car, and he only saw the kids on the weekends. In the tabloids, he became known as the Father's Day Killer, and the subsequent court case raised the question, was this really tragic accident, or was it a deliberate premeditated premeditated murder, like some horribly unimaginable way to get back at his X, but that happened so, with that other
0: woman too, right? Remember, what was her name? They were watching a cricket match, and the father
1: was it the one where he drove off the jetty? No, no, he it...
0: stabbed his son. on the. Oh, yes, Remember? I, yeah. and she went, she was a big advocate for like a whole bunch of stuff and sort of went, Yes,
1: oh, that's oh, that, uh, what's, her name? what's her name? Rosie Batman, yeah. Her name? I yeah. went to
0: yeah. just that was just gut wrenching. That whole story,
1: yeah. So, Helen Garner wrote a book about. The the case around this. So she followed the case for seven years through the original trial, the appeal, and then the retrial. I read this book in like two days. It just consumed me. Like Helen Gunner, she's just an incredible writer. So if you're a foreign listener, you're not familiar with her. She's one of Australia's leading nonfiction novel uh, writers and, and a novelist as well. This isn't her first book from Inside a Court. She's also written a book called Joe Cinque's Consolation, which I've also read, which follows another murder trial, one where a woman is accused of murdering her boyfriend after drugging him with rohypnol and then injecting him with a lethal lethal dose of heroin. Uh, But Robert's argument is that he suffered coughing fit at the wheel, which made him black out, and that's why he crashed a car. So his argument in court was that it wasn't a murder, but it was a tragedy. Yet when he came out of the water, his request to the first car that passed him by was not to get the emergency services, not for them to help him swim back into the dam to get his children out, which seems natural to expect. Instead it was those men to take him to his ex-wife to let her know. So was he just in shock or did he just want to kind of deliver her the news in some sort of incredibly twisted way? So Ghana, she's a really insightful writer, so she raises the point like, Actually, we we want Robert to be innocent because even if we can't rationally believe he is, because the alternative is so incomprehensible. Like, you can't accept that someone would ever seek to kill their children. She or like she hears. Was he charged lawyer. with murder? Yes. He was, yeah. Yes, yeah. He is a lawyer walking past the court. I've got two reactions to this. He can't possibly have done it, but there's no other explanation. So I guess, yeah, what is wonderful about Garner's writing, in addition to being very wry and clever and, and compassionate, it's really immersive. So we feel like we're in the court with, and whereas maybe another writer may have taken traditional kind of journalistic facts of the case approach to the book. Not that Ghana isn't being factual, but it's more her own reading of the trial and she inserts herself into it and so it's kind of a human reading. She's trying not to just logically understand what happened, but emotionally understand it as well. And she includes people, like, observations from people she talks to about the case, even when she's going to buy her groceries and stuff like that, their feelings about it, her honest reactions to the evidence, her doubts, her sense of the people involved. And, she, like, we, the defence some points goes, seems to go in-depth about, like, really minute detail, like, about the curve of the road, the tyre angles, the steering inputs. And, like, she's describing this and about how she's so bored and so is much of the room, like the journalist next to her is doing a crossword. And, like, that's so jarring that kind of thing to imagine. It's a court case about children that have died. There's people, it's, like, that's, like, she observes that the defence is probably actually maybe in trying to intentionally bore the jury, like, to make them feel so stupid to, or, like, well, yes, like they can't understand what is going on. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. like, to be overwhelm them so they feel like, okay, well, I'll just accept what you're saying because I can't understand, like it can't really get, it's so technical I can't really get it. And it's full of these kind of sorts of observations. So it's this balancing of sort of human emotion and what drives people against this logic of the court of law, which makes it really consuming, like I really couldn't put it down. Yeah, I really recommend
0: it. Wow. <clears throat> Was it very dark?
1: Well, yeah, but I think the way she writes it is super emotional. But
0: Was it more a kind of clinical approach?
1: No, it's not. I don't think it is at all. Like she's trying to understand the emotions of the everyone involved in it. And it's almost like the guy that he was so ordinary. He's just like a – seems like a normal kind of person, which makes it all the more
0: – Horrific.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's not, it's not like he isn't like us because he kind of is. He's just like this – like his father-in-law, I think, describes him as being like a bit of a sook, like a, just is like kind of a pathetic man, but he's not this – Yeah, like heartless kind of. I don't know. Well, it's just it's it's really interesting.
0: Wow. Okay. What was that called again?
1: House of Grief. House
0: of Grief. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. On the tools. Well, on a lighter note
1: oh <laughs> yeah sorry Ready to bring the mood down i uh,
0: watched a another what was it, a documentary feature documentary on netflix running with the devil the wild world of john mcafee
1: <laughs> i've watched them. oh
0: my god um <laughs> there are truly some stories that are stranger than fiction but none are quite so bizarre as crazy as Running for the Devil, the Wild World John McAfee. His CV is pretty long and accomplished, which includes uh, working for NASA creating the McAfee antivirus, and if you're old enough to remember the McAfee antivirus, once installed, it was all but impossible to remove, sort of like attempting to get shit off your shoe. It was terrible. I just
1: <laughs> There's like a pop-up every minute.
0: I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> um, his other endeavors included like dabbles in cryptocurrency, you know, smartphone apps, which, according to him, enabled him to eavesdrop on the world and record all sorts of conversations. He uh, <laughs> went.
1: Wasn't he saying he was being pursued by the Bulgarian government? I think or something a whole bunch like of like governments.
0: That. And, you know, so <laughs> anyway, and then he also set up that yoga retreat. That, he was kind of sitting in the middle like a yogi
1: he's done so much thing, so many things that I can't even like remember them all. it was just it was insane bizarre, but he did
0: do them and you know obviously yeah. he was really smart really capable and at his peak you know John McAfee was worth a hundred million dollars and you know going back all that time that was so much money so anyway he's Crazy life culminates in one dramatic incident where he's suspected of killing Gregor Fall, his neighbour in Belize. And it was over some dogs and his parrots and he was the prime suspect. And then he basically does a runner off into the jungle of South America where he disappears uh, where we meet his rather bizarre and odd-looking teenage girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> yes. that was so strange it was like <laughs> anyway reasons never really explained i don't i still don't understand and i've watched that intro maybe three or four times seeing if i'd missed something he gets in touch with a bunch of journalists um a film crew who are they they, they work for um
1: they work for vice. vice that's
0: right yeah um and he decides to invite the film crew to document basically his madness, and (laughs) hundreds of hours never seen before broadcast footage, you know, of McAfee's being pursued by authorities, you know, he illegally departs a country then illegally arrives in another country without passports or visas. Uh, It's a story that is really larger than life, you know. This character, this guy who I think once ran for president uh, yes. And escaped prison multiple times. I just sat through this thing and thought, "What the fuck is going on?" It was. Just- I
1: watched this with my parents, and I think we paused it halfway through to make like a cup of tea or something like that. And my dad turns around and goes, "This is the weirdest documentary I've ever <laughs> it's seen." It's so weird,
0: right? And I don't, yeah. I don't understand the purpose. <laughs> and you know what's immediately evident is that McAfee is this crazy flamboyant egomaniac, and certainly no stranger to the camera. Or
1: drugs. Or drugs, that's right, I forgot
0: about that. And, you know, he comments several times about how comfortable he is with cameras all around him. And for me there's this one particularly surreal and unintentionally hilarious moment where he's about to get arrested, detained by authorities, I think in South America somewhere. So, you know, I think there were military soldiers there. So, you know, it could have gone really pear-shaped. And he starts playing the flute. (laughs) Do you remember that? (laughs) (laughs) And it's just that sort of crazy and unhinged moment that just keeps you sucked in and you just think, what is wrong with this guy? Uh, It is really (laughs) bizarre. It's really funny. He travelled, I think, in one of the things like, you know, he just obviously still had access to so much cash. So he travelled with cash. He had that plastic Kind of thing that he opened up, and there was like thirty bits of gold bullion in there. Do you remember that? It's <laughs> yes. nuts.
1: And then all the guns that he had at one point is just all the guns, an insane amount of weapons. Yeah,
0: and I won't go into any more of it. Just you have to take the journey. It's like yeah, yeah. It's like you've just
1: but there's people that one of the vice guys that comes to film him in the end just stays around and he's almost got Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> it's like he sees him as his friend even though he's like this guy is nuts and he at one point leaves because he fears for his but life. But that's John McAfee,
0: isn't it? Because he doesn't really have any friends. He just uses people. And yeah, I think,
1: but he's extremely charismatic yeah. and, like, I guess pulls people into his orbit.
0: But, yeah, so it's a crazy documentary. I still don't know why. I still don't no. There's lots of it I don't understand. Uh,
1: You've got to like, stop questioning how any of it can be possible. And just enjoy well, at some the stage, you can't this
0: can't be true, but it is. Every single bit yeah. is.
1: This is what happens when you're insane and have <laughs> a shitload of money. He needed to be medicated, <laughs> and he
0: was mostly, but not with the right drugs.
1: Yeah, instead with bath salts. <laughs> yes, there's
0: something very wrong with him. Uh, so if you're inclined, I really strongly urge you to <laughs> watch <laughs> Run with the Devil, The Wild World, John McAfee. You'll need a couple of stiff drinks, I think, but that's on Netflix and really worthwhile watching.
1: Yeah. So I've been... I found this on the web. Shut up, Siri. That's all right.
0: Just turn that off. Start start it here.
1: (laughs) So I've been scrolling through a comedian on TikTok. Her name is Laura Ramoso. So it's at L-A-U underscore Ramoso, R-A-M-O-S-O. So she's a comedian from Italy and Germany she's lived all around the world, but she's currently based in Toronto and she does sketches on TikTok and Instagram. I don't really quite remember how I came across her, but it was in definitely one of my midnight scrolling sessions, doom scrolling when I couldn't sleep. And then I stayed awake for another two hours watching basically every video she's ever made. She has an Italian father and a German mother, and she often imitates them in sketches in particular situations. And and these are my favorite videos that she does. The Italian dad in particular is very relatable to me. My dad is not Italian, but I think so much of him (laughs) speaks to universal dad behavior. Like there's a sketch called My Italian Father When the Dishwasher Breaks, and that's probably my favorite. I sent it to my brother Immediately, because it actually just is a dad. Why, what is, is
0: it? What does he do?
1: <laughs> like yelling at you to come and help him fix something. <laughs> and then everything you do to try to assist him is wrong. And almost all my fights with my dad have happened as a result of me trying to help him as he is assembling something while sweating profusely, not reading the manual, swearing, and yelling at anyone <laughs> that tries to enter the vicinity. <laughs> If he has to install something now, we understand that I'm just going to go walk outside and here's not to talk to me. I think that's just
0: a bloke thing. I saw something right? I saw something where <laughs> there was a team of men and a team of women They had to build something, and the men just went line by line by line and were wrecking this thing, whereas the women didn't do anything and just read the whole thing first. Anyway, yes. the line at the end said, you don't have to build this, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> So they're just going. What are they doing? Why aren't they? What, why aren't they building this? We're, we've got it all over them. And then they get to the end of this thing, and of course the women beat them. But I think it's just a bloke thing. They don't read.
1: It's like my dad. Someone scraped my car ages ago, and so the paint came off. And so my dad's like, "I'll cover the paint for you." <laughs> so he went and bought new paint, and was instead of reading the instructions, he just sprayed it off the car, <laughs> and it wasn't mixed properly like the seal I don't know what he did, but it looked it looked worse than when he'd begun and you could not fix it. <laughs> it was like this big cellulite blob of paint on my car for years until the car got Was that the, the Suzuki? Yeah. I <laughs> thanks Dad. It looks terrible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Poor Chris.
1: So the top comment on the TikTok under this dishwasher video is, I've always said anyone who thinks men are less emotional has never held a flashlight for their dad. This is it 100%. (laughs) There's also my Italian father, when his team is playing, which sees her dad is going to pace the room for half an hour ahead of the match. And then he's unable to get the program to work on his computer so he can watch it. So he starts yelling at his daughter to help him again, very relatable to me. And he's typing with one finger, which is actually how my dad types. And then he's just screaming in despair as his team loses. And, and then when they score a goal, he's euphoric. And this again is actually my dad who, <laughs> if you like cannot, you comprehend the screaming that is coming out of him when his afl team is playing and when they win he calls my brother and he sings the team song down the phone with him at the top of his lungs which i guess is them bonding but i find it very strange (laughs) (laughs) there's also my italian father on a every every road trip and he does this thing which she calls the international dad reach which is reach which is definitely something my dad does which is reaching his arm into the back seat for you to give him snacks which put chips in his <laughs> hand, <laughs> which is definitely something my dad used to do. Speaking on speakerphone to his doctor, yelling down the phone for some reason because he thinks you need dads think you need to be yelled to be heard on speakerphone. So I grew up in Newcastle and we were often drive to Sydney for various reasons. And there was many trips where my dad was on spoke speakerphone to his friends or work colleagues for the whole two-and-a-half-hour drive where I just have to sit there silently, staring out the window, waiting for it to end. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Dad, I really love it.
0: (laughs) But that's why they moved away.
1: (laughs) I moved away. uh, There's also my – I really love the German mother as well. So there's my German mother when she opens my closet. It would be relatable to any woman who has had a nosy mother go through her clothes, like, this is too short. This is eating you up. Where is that one T-shirt I bought you in 2006? Oh, you don't have it anymore. Of course you don't. Everything I buy you, you throw away. Shout out to my own mum who I showed her my Depop and then she got really offended because she saw that I was selling clothes that she gave me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> See, that's your error. That's your mistake. <laughs> my mum was a terrible snoop. Is that, a, is that a female thing? She was horrible.
1: I, I showed this to my mum, so I that was my own fault. Oh.
0: No, mum used to go through all my stuff, and they were, they were very religious, and one day I thought, I'll show you, and I created a fictitious drug order, right? I was so, <laughs> And I was so straight as a child, like really just very straight. And, of course, she found this thing and handed it. So after the service, I got called in by the minister, <laughs> and then, like, he's in front of me with this stupid p- bit of paper and it was and no matter what I said I was guilty was
1: what was in your ridiculous. drug order? it was made. I didn't even know what a
0: trip was I didn't know like, heroin I think there was even heroin in there you know I'm terrified of injections right so it was just ridiculous and uh anyway his mum was convinced that uh yeah good on your mum
1: so laura also like being european she does a lot of videos about annoying millennial women when they return to the u.s or canada from a trip to europe so like the one girl that just got back from italy or the one girl who just got back from france and i guess it's also applicable to australian women when they return from their europe trip like feigning that they're very cultured and sophisticated and i go to europe Maybe once or twice a year, normally to visit family. So I found this very close to the bone. Am I like this? Oh yes, that reminds me of when I was in Italy
0: <laughs> <laughs> last summer.
1: <laughs> oh yes, that lo- one little cafe that we love. La, la, la. Uh, like, oh my god! Oh, yeah,
0: my god, I think you should why. stop that immediately. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's it.
1: Yes,
0: that's it. So I'll. I've got to go. Uh, go, go put your tummy. Yeah, on. you can be all. We will sushi. I'll see you at the event.
1: See Bye. you. Bye. Jackie Keys from On The Tools. We love doing the podcast and we hope you like it too. Judging from the emails, you do. Don't forget to like us and subscribe to us on whatever platform you listen to the show on. If you have any suggestions or feedback, let us know and we'd love to hear from you. But don't tell our producer, Hugh. He doesn't trust us.